Welcome to Don't Give Up Your Day Job, the podcast, the only podcast you need. My name is Danny, and today on the show we have Jason Peters. Now, Jason Peters was a drummer in Christchurch band Pumpkinhead, um, which was a, a very popular rock band in the 90s. He also recently put together the tribute shows for Aaron Tokener, um, which began in Auckland and ended up being held around the country. Very popular shows. Jason came to my attention on a recent episode with Jimmy Cara. I was asking Jimmy about how the shows worked and he said, Jason's the guy. Jason's the guy that made it happen. Bobby then texted me and said, dude, you've got to talk to Jason. Jason's awesome. And this is, this is what happened. I had a great chat with him, loads of fun. We locked right in and we had an absolute blast. Hope you enjoy it. This is my conversation with Jason Peters. I'm pretty laid back, so... Right, yeah, and do you yeah. get it out in the playing? Is that how it works? Yeah, definitely. Right. I'll take it out on the kit. And I, because I, um, I noticed about myself that I've mellowed out a hell of a lot since 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know why exactly. I think I tried to do it, but I also think that it comes out in the playing. Yeah. And you kind of get it out so that you don't have to live with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Oh, it's definitely therapy, man. Especially yeah. the drums. Yeah. Were you uh, like a different level of intensity when you were a teenager? Oh, I think so. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you've, you've got to totally more energy yeah. for a start. Like, um, I, I remember listening to Greg's um, podcast with you guys. Greg Haver? Yeah, Greg Haver. And he, yeah. he, he did the drums on, um, on uh, was it Gramsci's album? Mm. And he was saying he's a bit older now. Yeah. So he has to sort of pull back a bit. And I, I sort of chuckled because <laughs> I know what that feels like. You know? But but I mean, um, I, one of the things I've also noticed is that a lot of a lot of guys in rock and roll, especially heavier rock and roll, they're the polar opposite to meet them in person. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, they're really often very gentle and nice people. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and not that you should expect anything else. But yeah, but um. It's like the, the it's like the more intense, aggressive, angry people are often in like jazz <laughs> or, yeah. so, or something. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You meet someone from a rock band, they're like, "Hey, man, nice to meet you." Yeah, <laughs> I, I find that too. It's like yeah. um, can't remember the lead singer from Slipknot now, but you'd expect him to be a bit of a maniac yeah. and full on, but he's actually a sweet guy. Yeah, that's right. You know. Yeah. So I think a lot of actors are like that too. Right. You see them in character, and and I guess with musicians, hit the stage and then. Uh, get into character mode almost, you know, yeah. and 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 lay it out, and then you meet them, and they're like super quiet. Or but but I've also, I mean, I've been wondering, I've been trying to work this out for a while because I was definitely really angry when I was a teenager, <laughs> um, and like just life, you know, yeah, um, yeah. and I was definitely in the rock in rock bands and so on back then. But for some reason, I then gravitated away from it and got into. You know, I got into heaps of stuff, but I didn't end up really being in a heavy rock band. I got more into like funk and, you know, yeah. other stuff like that. And some of my friends who weren't anywhere near as pissed off as I was, you know, they went heavier. Uh, that's uh, that's incredible. I I got into heavy music early. Yeah. And I was in, into metal and hard rock. And I was, right. I kind of I guess that's what led to Pumpkinhead because we were pretty heavy. Yeah. And then all the 90s music that I loved as well. But is there something like people who aren't, I mean, I'm trying to work out what it is. It's like people who aren't organically angry get a different buzz out of heavy music. Oh, and, fully. And the people who are angry, it's kind of like, yeah, that's cool. But I actually want to go the other way. There's some sort of contradiction there. I, I think there's like, 
I think there's more of a passion that happens more than the anger. Yeah. You know, I think there's an energy thing and a passion, and I think I think that's what you can get mm. from heavy music. Yeah. Not necessarily getting your anger out or being right. angry. Yeah. I, I think some people would do that. Yeah. But I've found like um, just like reading a lot of interviews with heavier bands and mm. guys I look up to, it's more just like a that's kind of the the style that they like. Yeah. And and it's more just like the passion side of it. And just like giving it heaps. Our drummer um Jasper DeRue's, he listens to super heavy stuff. And yeah. um yeah. and you know, it's some of some of us some of the heaviest stuff I've ever heard. Um and I don't think he's ever been angry. He's he's yeah. like the nicest, <laughs> sweetest, you know, mellowest guy. Um, I don't think he was angry when he was younger. I didn't know him then. But no, um, no. but um, what I've picked up from him is he enjoys the the feeling it gives him for a start. Yeah, it's like a rush. Yeah. Um, but he's also got that kind of brain where he loves the maths. Yeah, I'm very similar. I mean, yeah. that's why I, I love Tall and yeah, especially the new album and and obviously Danny's playing is just you know off mm. the charts. Mm. But I think it's also an intensity. Yes, that's in there too. There's just certain moments of that of heavy music, mm. where it, especially if it's got an emotional edge as well. Right, it just hits you, and you just go, "Holy shit!" Yeah, that's so good. So this whole idea that society has that people in metal and rock and roll and whatever they're all angry and problematic or whatever. It's, I mean, obviously we know that's not true. But it's even more not true than probably most people realize. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. you look at those bands like Judas Priest and yeah. They had like the devil worshipping thing, yeah, come up a while ago, and that there were secret messages played backwards, and they were just like, "What? What the fuck are you talking about?" It's right. just, it's, it's, it's a, just music. It's funny. It just happens to be heavy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. That, that's the thing, eh? Like, are, you know, it's it's like the um the real psycho killers out there, the the serial killers. I mean, they're like the quiet, unsuspecting, <laughs> you know. Yeah, just the, watch um, out for those. Those yeah, guys. the guys who are all dressed up and like you know have got the whole look. They're the ones you're fine with. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, man. What was the scene like in Christchurch <clears throat> in the '90s? I mean, I was I was in those rock bands in Auckland in the '90s. Okay, yeah, um, it was it was really awesome. Yeah, it was really healthy. It, I I um I, I sort of compare it to the Seattle scene, really, right. because um, there were just such a, a variety. Of different bands mm. like there was Salmonella Dub and then there were the indie bands and the heavier bands like us but, yeah uh, all of those bands were happening at the same time and we're all um, playing shows with each other and supporting each other yeah uh, which was really cool one of the notable things about Seattle is that they didn't have any uh, they didn't believe for a second anyone would discover them they were just playing music because they were bored you yeah, know, and they're just into it, you know. Yeah, so it's kind of similar to us, really. right? Is that was that the vibe in Christchurch? Yeah, did I mean, it feel removed from the music industry down there? A little, yeah. Because um, I mean, most of it was happening in Auckland, mm. and um, I think every everyone was obviously influenced by what was going on in the nineties. Yeah, not only globally, but just in New Zealand, right. as well. Yeah, but there was definitely a a flavor and a scene going yeah. on in Christchurch at the time, and when we were playing with bands like 147 Swordfish and mm-hmm. uh, Love's Ugly Children, Super Tanker, Lurch. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there was a bunch of them. Well, it's astonishing how many pretty big names have come out of Christchurch. Yeah. I didn't actually appreciate that until about five years ago when I sort of got to know a few of them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you're from Christchurch too, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Shapeshifter from there and oh, there's a whole bunch. Yeah, there's loads of them. That, that, yeah. that you find out. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So do you think that was informing the music, that disconnection? Like there was 
more maybe maybe more artistic freedom because there wasn't an agenda to stick to it could be yeah it could be it's 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 hard to know i think everyone was just it could have been a timing thing too right i think there were just a a bunch of people yeah that were 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 digging on the music in a particular style at that time Mm. and wanted to play it's it was a great i mean i i have such a soft spot for that early 90s yeah, rock sound. I got a bit bored with rock by the end of the '90s. That sort of overproduced thing that started to happen. But yeah, the early yeah. stuff that was kind of raw and the big funk infusion and that sort of you know like Primus and the early Chilies and that kind of stuff. Yeah, Primus um, was cool. We got yeah. to support those guys in Wellington, which wow. was awesome. Yeah, and and it was it was huge for me because I was a big uh, fan of Herb mm. on the drums and um, obviously the bass playing as well. Les, so. Les Claypool. Les, yeah, he's a machine. <laughs> yeah. Did you, um, did you meet him? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to both those guys. Yeah. Uh, Herb, Herb had a, a bit of a cold. Right. He had a bit of a cold running. Yeah. Um, so he was a bit bit lower key. But I was there with um, Jason Young was side stage from Love's Ugly too, and yeah. we were just buzzing out on Herb's playing, man. Yeah. Just in the pocket. Right. Um, I remember he had a, um, a metronome light set up on a drum store next to him. Yeah. He would just set the set the pace. Really? For each tune. We've never light. seen anything like that. I haven't seen that now. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, wow, this guy is tight. You know, yeah. he's, 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 he's setting it, but um, incredible I also, show. I also think that, the, I don't know his name, but the guitarist from Primus is, I always is, un, is he's so underrated because yeah. he, that's a tough job to play in a band like that. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, a, yeah. they're, they're such accomplished musicians, and yeah. and he had a quite a wacky style, but also a really busy rhythm section. Obviously, yes. Les Les's bass playing was so important, yeah. So the guitarist yeah. had to get the fuck out of the way, yeah. you know, and compliment him, yeah, yeah. So you know? he did an incredible job, yeah. in doing that, yeah. Um, no, that was a great show. I I I'll never forget the start of it. I think uh, Les was starting "Sailing the Seas of Cheese," one of the songs, yeah. He started that was my up. favorite Primus album. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. He was he was he started out the riff, and then someone threw a shoe from the from the from the back of the venue. Yeah, and it went all the way over the people, and it landed on his bass. <laughs> <laughs> and he just I was just like, holy shit! And what a did he shot. do? Was he, he stopped? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, and he just picked up the shoe and he looked at it. And he said, uh, you know, judging by the size of the show, show, whoever threw it has got a tiny dick. <laughs> and everyone just cracked up laughing. And then he just threw the shoe down and just busted out again. He took them su- down like a comedian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was such a good move, you know. But um, no, that was that was a minty moment, man. It was yeah. a buzz to get that support and um, play on the same stage as those Well, I, I was listening to some of um, Pumpkinhead last night to get familiar with it again. Yeah. And um, one of the things that stood out to me is I was, I was listening to the drum sounds and I was like, yeah, that's what drums used to sound like in the early 90s and rock bands and so on. Yeah. And, yeah, and cool. I was like, what is that sound? It's it's kind of shit, but it's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I remember <laughs> I, I remember getting the initial um, drum mixes back. It was Dave Wernham worked on them with Brent. Yeah. And I, I hated it. Right. I was just like, I, I had all of these, <laughs> I wrote all of these notes out, just going, nah, the song, nah, what's happening with the snare here, yeah. this, this, and the rest. Yeah. Sent it back, and, and Murray Kamek just said, sorry, dude, there's just no time. <laughs> it, it, we're not going to do all of that. What it, did you want it to sound like? Like, who were who your influences? Um, or what albums were you referencing? Well, there was there, there was uh, Faith No More, oh, yeah. that, that drum sound, and mm-hmm. then there was Tall and... Mm. Smashing Pumpkins and that. I mean, looking back and listening to it again all these years later, um, it's they actually did a great job. Yeah, it's actually really crisp. Yeah, and there's and there's variation 
of drum sounds between between the songs, which is actually really cool. Well, and when just, I when I said you know they're shit but awesome, yeah. and, and by shit I mean that in an endearing way. They're mm-hmm. like low, like kind of this lo-fi sound. Yeah, there was yeah, this yeah. funny thing in the nineties, and I I don't know enough about mixing to explain it, but it's like the drums are there and they're they're present somehow, but they're not like right at the front yeah, and the, the yeah. guitars are huge yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're well, way we, higher in the mix than they would be these days yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think i think that's um a lot of those 90s bands mm. did it and and i don't know if you've seen the foo fighters doco but they have what three guitarists really in yeah. that band yeah and i remember dave saying that you know that's their sound it's right. big guitars yeah it has to be big guitars yeah we had two guitarists as well, and, and, and it was always, the guitars had to be up. And the know? vocals are often down back in the day, right? Yeah, yeah, And that's, yeah. that's something that annoys me about modern mixes with the vocals being so up front. Because my theory is that people turn the volume of the of the player to the level of the vocals. That's it. So that's if they, it. you know, the vocals are really up front, they turn it down, yeah, and then the yeah. band becomes more gutless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's got to um, have punch, right? So. Yeah, like, I mean, I one of my favorite bands back then was, was um, Pearl Jam. And if yeah. you listen to just the mix of, like, verses... Yeah, Eddie's pretty low in the mix. Yeah, well, Brenda O'Brien remixed it, right? And yeah. It's, have you heard that mix? I've heard the remix of the first album, Ten. Did he also do yeah. verses? Uh yeah. Oh. Yeah, he actually mixed that one, and then they got him to remix Ten. Right. Um, which is better because uh, the guitars are, are slightly up and crunchier on all 10? the way through on or Ten. On Ten, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and I think Eddie and and those guys had a bit of a problem with the mix. Yeah. back in the day for whatever reason I thought it sounded fine to me but. I, I read that they didn't like 10 because it sounded too 80s uh, okay. and it was so early in the 90s that they hadn't quite established the 90s sound yet yeah yeah well that yeah. would make sense so yeah. maybe because it's true if you go and listen to the original 10 it is a little bit like hairband a little bit polished yeah so maybe maybe Brendan grunged it up a little yeah little yeah <laughs> I mean honestly like that when did that happen? What ten years ago or something? When they did that, or even longer? Yeah. When they did the remix? Yeah, yeah, I think and, so. And I listened to it and I was like, it didn't seem like a big difference to me. <laughs> I, all I heard was uh, guitars, and there were a few subtle things in yeah. the mix itself right. uh, between the songs. But um, it was just—I thought the guitars sounded better. They're right. just crunchier, sort of more rocky. I don't know. It was something. Yeah, I need to do a, a, another listen because I probably didn't know as much back then of what to listen to yeah yeah um yeah uh, um and talking about that album that band um um i love the the drums like david brucey was the best drummer in my my opinion yeah um he was on verses right he was on the first one no he didn't do the first one no that was a different dave they've had had about five drummers (laughs) but they had a dave cruson who recorded it yeah and then then they had another drummer because he couldn't tour there was some fallout eh? there was something bad happened with him and then there was drummer matt chamberlain yep he fell through, right? And then they got, and then they got Dave right. on board. But um, so he did the ten tour, yeah. And you, and you can see all those shows, like there's the uh, classic Pink Pop one in '92, mm. um, and then he did Verses and Biology, yeah. Uh, but I, I just think his style of drumming and just even watching him play is mm. just so cool. Oh, Versus um, to me is the classic album, and that, yeah. and I know what you mean about the drumming on Versus. It's just loose, eh? Like it's it's, it's wild. It, it's it's pretty cool, man. It's dynamic yeah. playing. It's sort of in the pocket. Yeah, there's lots of little flourishes, and it was just perfect. For but that it kind band. of swings too. It has that almost like a Steve Adler kind of looseness about yeah. it. Um, yeah, like yeah. a like a kind of a punky. It's not too perfect. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and um. And on the complete opposite, the other drummer of theirs that I liked was, I can't remember his name, but the guy that played on Yield, I think he was, oh. on, he was only on that one album, I think. Was, was that Jack Irons? 
Yeah, that might I think be right. He was the original Chili Peppers drummer. Right. And yeah. by the time he was with Pearl Jam, he kind of looked like some random old dude who was yeah. like, he looked like their dad. who was like playing with them. Um, yeah. But but he, I just loved his feel. I, I, I yeah. That album I didn't like when I first heard it. And then it really mm-hmm. grew on me. Now it's one of my top Pearl Jam albums. Yeah, it's it's a good album too. And and of course they got Matt Cameron now, yeah. who, who's a, a phenomenal drummer. But mm. I don't know, man. I think I think he was awesome in Soundgarden. Mm. He oh, could really, without a doubt. And Temple of the Dog, he could really express himself. You yeah. can see it. Yeah. And he does an incredible job in Pearl Jam too, mm. but... I don't know, there was something about David Brucey's playing that yeah. I connected with. It was a big influence for me. The magical combination. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just that, maybe it's not even the drum seat fault. But for me, yeah. Pearl Jam kind of lost its vibe or something. And it may maybe it's not even fair to say that because it's like that kind of music is kind of a young man's game in a way, isn't it? Yeah, but and, I, I kind of agree. I think after... Might have been yield. I switched off a bit too, mm. and yeah, I think it was the avocado album that did it for me. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't understand that cover either. I no, like, What's no, up with that? <laughs> exactly. Where do you stand on the chilies? Because I have a similar kind of opinion on the chilies. Uh, oh man, I, I don't know. I mean, Blood Sugar was the the pinnacle. One of the best albums ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, so firstly, what's your opinion on One Hot Minute? It's, it's a divisive oh, album. I don't actually mind it, and I, I actually saw them play with Dave Navarro on that tour, yeah. up in Wellington, yeah, and it was a great show. Yeah, it's it's, it's okay, man. I mean, I thought he brought a slightly different, heavier flavour to it. Yeah, um, it wasn't that kind of bluesy sort of vibe that yeah. John Frusciante brought to it. Um, it was okay. I mean, I think all the albums. That, that that come after it there's usually like two or three gems mm. on every album they, right that they, they, they've managed to keep that songwriting buzz yeah but like leading into the last few albums i've pretty much switched off but yeah so i was a defender of one hot minute i love oh uh, yeah. yeah 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 i i thought it was pretty cool as yeah. well there's some good 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 tunes on there yeah airplanes killer um and i hear the what the the got john back and and that other guy the new guitarist is gone yeah, I think that might have happened about a year or so ago. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I keep losing track. Yeah. But for me, it was like, yeah, so I loved them up until the end of One Hot Minute. And then Californication came out and I went and bought it without listening to it because I was just so excited that the new Chili's album was out. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, and I listened to it loads, but it was like, ah, oh, it's just something that wasn't the same anymore. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can't yeah. fault the playing though. I watched it. No, not um, at all. It's one of the new albums that's got the pill on it. Um, and, I, and I saw it on YouTube, and they played it from front to back. Right. And um, and and the playing is incredible. Like uh, yeah. um, Chad uh, Chad Smith on the cat is yeah. just a force to watch. And well, then, of I, course, Flea that rhythm section. Of course, yeah. But holy shit! My my opinion um, is that it comes down to two things for me: is that someone told Anthony he could sing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like it was better when he didn't think he could sing, um, and and also the production got drier. Yeah, and that, that yeah, kind of yeah. did my head. And like Blood Sugar is one of the most beautifully produced albums I've ever heard. Yeah, like it just, yeah. It just kicks you in the guts, you know, but That's it's got right. so much vibe to it. But yeah. the production got, got so dry in the early 2000s that it was yeah. just, it just didn't vibe for me. Um, but what I find also quite interesting is that a lot of people, um, a lot of younger people who bring up the Chili's, I'm like, oh, which part of the, which era of the Chili's do you like? And they go, oh, I like the really early stuff, you know, like um, like uh, like 2005. Wow. Like the Zephyr song, whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I'm like, you think that's the early stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try, try yeah. Mother's Milk or earlier. Yeah, you know? but that, but isn't it interesting how that generation, that's how they experience the chilies. Yeah. So that's their favorite era. And yeah, who, yeah. who am I to take that away from them, yeah. you know? That's that's cool. It's funny because um, 
um, Pumpkinhead were influenced a bit by the early stuff. Yeah. Um, we actually used to cover Suck My Kiss. I think it was one of the earliest covers we did. Nice. From one of the first shows we ever did. We're playing that song too at the moment. Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, we've it's fun of, to play. Yeah, we've done a sort of a rework of it, but yeah, it's yeah. Um, killer, we did that, great I song. think we did that one and we did uh, uh, Too Many Puppies. Yeah. By Primus way back nice. in the day, you know. <laughs> but um, but that was the sound, wasn't it? I mean, the chilies blew up with blood sugar, and yeah. then and then and then there were weird. You know, I don't know if you'd say Primus blew up, but they were definitely present in my world. Um, yeah, yeah, and then there was um, Faith No More. Who, Faith No who, More, who I was of a huge, huge fan of. And, yeah, and we got to support those guys three times, which was incredible. It was yeah, so so neat. And that early that sound of that you know early to mid nineties of that funk um, infusion rock metal kind of psychedelic almost yeah yeah it was really exciting yeah yeah um and 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 faith no more specifically once they got mike Patton on board mm. that it was just a whole different animal yeah um even though the songs were there and there's some some cool stuff on mm. the earlier albums um i think it was i think it was from the first album our uh, second album onwards right I, I jumped on board and you got yeah these yeah. guys are the business yeah <laughs> so you i know. i was um you know, researching last night a little bit, and I had no idea about all the drama that unfolded with Pumpkinhead. And I read the story, and I was just gobsmacked. I was riveted. As I was, like, this is one of the most rock and roll stories I've read in New Zealand history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and is yeah. that, do you think what I read is probably a fairly true depiction, or, or has it? gotten twisted you didn't get that from failsafe by chance did you <laughs> i don't no no i don't think it was their website it was some website yeah, yeah 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 um yeah man i mean that's pretty much how it was i mean sometimes yeah. you just don't want that stuff out in public as well because right. it was kind of some of it was kind of personal stuff that just goes on in bands of course you know but yeah. but it but it but it's out there and, and we we Went through it, and know. and these days now that it's so many years later, is it still a sore point? That, like, not really. You, I mean, we've all know. we've all like, you know, it's water under the bridge, and 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 it was quite an interesting time, and mm. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, thinking back, yeah, we were younger too, and I think just dealing with things when you're younger and, and a different mindset. Yeah, I sort of look back and think, well, maybe we could have dealt with things in a different way as sure, well yeah. instead of like disbanding the band <laughs> you know <laughs> but one of the arguments i've always made is that in music you don't have any real mentorship no you know? so no. when i was reading about and i don't know how um unified you were as a band when you were you know in those negotiations with the record companies and so on or whether it was more like one person or whatever i don't know but um were you kind of of the same mind before it fell apart um, well, Brent used to manage the band, yeah. So, so, and 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 hats off to him. He did a there's a lot of work yeah. managing a band, like especially to the level we got to back then. And yeah, so he he was dealing with a lot of it, but he did convey it all to the band, and we'd have band meetings, yeah, and yeah, discuss bits and pieces, you know. So when I was reading about the part when you were, you know, you're in negotiations with Failsafe, and you ended up signing with Wildside, and it was all of the debacle that fell out of that. Yeah, yeah. I was reading that going, well, I can sort of see it both ways. I can see like, yeah, it's kind of a dick move to the record companies, but at the same time, you know, these are young guys who don't really have anyone else looking out for them. No. You know? And no. that's like a young young musicians, they, they're in the dark working it out. Yeah. And we get fucked from every side. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. standing up for ourselves is, you know, necessary. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? So I can see the story from absolutely from both sides. I, th I think from that, I mean, it was just a case of us 
looking for a better deal. Yeah. And and it was kind of a no-brainer to me. It was like um, Murray had Rip It Up at the time. Mm. Um, uh, Wildside and, and Festival yeah. were in cahoots, so we we're going to be distributed by a bigger record label. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the fact that he had two of my favorite bands, he'd like a hole and she hard on his label too. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it just seemed like, okay, this guy's going to get our music out there Yeah. and he's got all of this experience. And I think it was the right move. It was definitely the right move. Right. Um, but somewhere along the lines, um, Rob from Failsafe got upset. I don't, I don't really quite know how that happened. Yeah. I mean, everything's completely cool now. Yeah. I'm aware Facebook friends and blah, blah, blah. But right. yeah, there was definitely a bit of drama back in the day. <laughs> That's funny. Know your Facebook friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's, it, it's, it's all good. It's just, it's it's funny, man. It brings it back to that, you know, hot passion with yeah. music. And you're in a band and you're defending everything. And yeah. of course, if you've got a label, you're defending that too. And you're really wanting a band on your label. And, yeah, yeah. And we're trying to look around for good deals and... I've been on both sides of those sorts of things. You know, yeah, I've had yeah. situations where, you know, some some pretty sort of heavy hitters have, I've ended up on the wrong side of. And yeah, there was yeah. one particular case that was basically due to their lack of communication. Yeah. They didn't tell me how it worked. Yeah. And I just went the wrong way one day mm. and fucked mm. them off. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't know, you know. <laughs> and um, and that's one of the things that really really annoys me about our industry. I don't know if that was the case with Failsafe, but um, in my case, I, you know, there was no step in that where I had the wrong motives. No, it just, no. It just, the communication wasn't right. It's always communication. And yeah. I, I don't know the full story. I know that I think Brent was dealing with Rob mm. more back in those days about what we were going to, who we were yeah. going to run with and, and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, all I know is that we definitely made the right decision. Yeah. Because we, we had so many uh, incredible opportunities. Right. Come our way. Mm. Um, and, and and it was worth it. And the totally. band, the band, like what I read at least, got to the point where you were selling out, you know, you at least got a thousand people to a gig on average around the yeah. South Island, is that right? Yeah, well, um, I mean, I reckon the scene was so different back then, man. Yeah. Like We were playing at McCarthy's Bar in Christchurch, mm. and all the bands were getting at least two or three hundred right. along during the week, and then and then if you'd have two or three of us play together, you'd get eight hundred coming what along to the shows. So what you know? you're sort of saying is that people went out anyway, right? Yeah, so I, think, it, yeah. I think it was, the, I don't know whether it was the music or what the vibe was, but right. a lot of people into live music and yeah. supporting local music. Yeah. And going out, like going out Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, they just would always be going out. We'd be going out. And we don't have time. that kind of scene anymore, do we? Any, like at least as far as I know, anywhere in New Zealand. No, it's you, changed. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I mean, we did we did okay. We sold out the power station, which mm. was a buzz for us. And then we got... Um, That's a big deal. We got the nationwide tour with Supergroove when they were huge. Yeah. Which was really cool. I love Supergroove. As well. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, were, they, they, they were a cool band. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was really neat. Um, yeah, there were definitely a few cool moments. Yeah, it was just amazing. Like, and, and it made me think: was there a different? Was there kind of a separation between the two islands? You know, was there kind of a South Island scene? Well, I think there was to a, to a point. I mean, you had the whole Dunedin scene, which I yeah. didn't connect with, but then you had what was happening in Wellington yeah. with um, with She Had Head Like a Hole and Wetter and Breathe. Mm a few of those bands and I was so impressed. I remember seeing Head Like a Hole and She Hard play together right. on one of their tours. It was a smaller venue in Christchurch 
and I was just floored. I was just like, holy shit, what are yeah. they putting the water up there? <laughs> just so much talent, you know. It's, it's quite funny for me because I, I, like, you know, I grew up in Auckland and mm-hmm. and we're obviously the biggest city when it comes to population. Yeah. Um, and you would assume that most stuff is up here. And then you look at the history of New Zealand music and you go, what has Auckland done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Supergroove. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there are a few, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah there's but, a few you know, others. But yeah. <laughs> no, it tends to be spread down, down yeah. the country a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it's um, quite strange. <laughs> it is, it is. But um, yeah, I guess every city has its own its own scene but and so but were you so you were doing the circuit around the south island and getting a lot of people along was yeah, that yeah we were building it up over time i mean it's still like any band when yeah. we started out we played um warehouse shows and parties and, yeah of and they were pretty dodgy ones and yeah um and then we just built it up over time it was a lot of touring it was a lot of work but a lot I, of bands did that in the 90s am know? i wrongly assuming that there was a difference between the like you'd big in the south island and maybe not so much in the north island or were you I think just... it was pretty spread out, man. I it think was. I think once we got the album out mm. and started getting some really key supports, yeah, and and festivals and bits and pieces, then it started really building. Right. I mean, to the point where we, I mean, we always didn't fare that well in Wellington, which was funny. Because, Wellington's tough, man, because it was head like a hole in Sheehard's yeah. territory, and we probably got compared a little. Yeah. Um, we did really well in Auckland for right. some reason, and that's how we got to um, sell out Power Station that time. And yeah, um, you just never know. We did. Really well in uh, New Plymouth. They mm-hmm. loved us there. So yep. there were certain towns. Yeah. We did well in Dunedin. You know, it was just, you could never pick it, really. I think Wellington's always hard, you know? Yeah. The only stuff I've done in Wellington that's been, like, like without a problem, I toured down there with Tommy Emmanuel and, like, stuff of that level. Yeah. Um, yep. Where he was able to sell out a whole, what is the, the Opera House or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, it, most other bands that I've been down to Wellington with, um, they've... They've struggled to sell tickets. Yeah, you know they I, do. I, they do well, like in um, Lower Hutt, yeah, yeah, <laughs> places yeah. like that. Yeah, um, and I, I guess, don't. I don't know what it is. I guess it depends on the genre too. I mean, yes. if you're if you're if you're Black Seas, Fat, Fat Freddy's yes. that sort of genre, then you're gonna right. paint it. Yeah. Um, Same as like like um, I've never done well in Hamilton, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I don't think I'm heavy enough. I think that's a yeah. that's a rock town, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, it's total Bogan town, <laughs> um, which we did really well in there too. Funny enough, yeah. we had some awesome shows there. Right. Um, I don't know, and I think and Auckland tends to have a real indie thing going, and especially the early two thousands with the Datsuns and yeah. um, the D four and all those type of bands that really sort of brought Auckland out. I thought they were from Hamilton. Oh, they might have been. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know, but I remember a whole scene. Yeah, happening with the bands, and it seemed to come from Auckland. Right, the Czechs and. Or maybe they moved up. Oh, yeah, the Czechs were from here. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, so, if you're if you're regularly at that point and at the height, you know, you got about a thousand people coming to gigs. Mm, there's mm. a business there, right? I mean, yeah, are these yeah. ticketed shows, or how does it work? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we start definitely start making money, but I mean, mm. the money gets invested back into the band. Yeah as well and, and and we were on a label and and those things were expensive mm. so we had to pay it back yes it was a loan basically <laughs> the so, mortgage so we did play a lot and, and we did well but we had to play pay pay a lot of money back so how were you surviving like were you holding down jobs um it's funny i was a i was a um sign writer yep. back then i was i was like um a computer sign writer they'd just come out in the late 80s right early 90s <laughs> i learned how to do computer sign writing way back then yeah and um, I was actually given an ultimatum by my boss because Pumpkinhead were really busy. Right. We were playing every second week and had to be away. And he said, look, dude, you either do this job or you do your band. And it, and it took me about 10 seconds. And I said, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do the band. 
um, this yeah. is my last week. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think I've been doing, I've been sign writing for like three years, but it was just a no-brainer. Right. It was just like, I really love this. So oh you must have been making a little bit out of the band then, if you could take a little that bit. step. I think, I think I was um, on the benefit. Yeah. And, and back then, they were really harsh on musicians. Right. They didn't see that as a job at all. Mm. Yeah. That was a hobby. Yeah, they so still I don't to, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to go in and do all these interviews and be actively looking for nine to five jobs. Right. Yep. Um, and and playing that playing that whole game, but I was just like, there's, I wasn't. I was just, I wanted to be in this band. Yeah. And know? for a long time, that's what being a professional musician meant, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> being on the dole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, compared to what I do now, uh, I mean, I've got a career mm. in graphics, and I'm an art director now. But I've, yeah. I've, I've um, basically been working and, and and doing music projects right ah oh, for the last 20 years so you know? if you now that you've got the luxury of hindsight do you yeah. think that things would have been better for the band if you weren't signed especially when it comes down to the financial side of it if oh, I, I don't think it was i don't think it was anything to do with the label or being signed because yeah. i think that was they gave us the opportunities that we needed i'm not trying to talk ill of the label i <clears throat> no, just mean no, if no. you've got a thousand people coming to a gig I don't yeah. know how much they were paying for a ticket. What was the ticket price back then? Oh God, it was probably only twenty bucks. Yeah, maybe but, less. You know. <laughs> yeah, but but twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was probably less, man. I think we were charging like ten dollars. I I went to see Radiohead at McCarthy's Bar for twenty bucks <laughs> in the nineties. You know, it's so That's crazy. I know, isn't it? <laughs> so one of the we, greatest bands. Yeah, yeah and you get these yeah. bands. I remember there were like what four or five for five bucks or something in Auckland. Yeah, playing at the power station back then. At, right. Yeah, at the glue pot and all of those venues. So, look, I think it had nothing to do with that. With our band, it was personality. That's what it came down to. What that broke the band up. Do you yeah. Mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't even meaning that. I was just yeah, meaning yeah. like, uh, you know, now that you've got more experience in business and so on. Yeah. yeah. Do you look back sometimes and go, "Wow, we actually could have organized organized ourselves." Oh, totally. Better. Oh, oh <laughs> you know? absolutely. Yeah. I think I think we were a little naive, and I think we needed guidance. Yeah. Uh, with with the financial side of stuff, the management side of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's also like the mental health. Yes. side of things oh that's a big one eh? um yeah. it was very very stressful and it, mm. it's great with um guys like tom larkin who uh have a management thing going with uh helping mental health people and mm. yeah. um, helping musicians yeah and all of that wasn't really available and and um no it wasn't even recognized you just you, didn't you, know you just you know party and go out work hard yeah. and then you might have anxiety or depression and and, and not even realize yeah what was going on you just thought oh you're partying a bit hard and our culture would belittle you if you had a um you know any kind of emotional problem right yeah 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 yeah. if you're sad or 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 nervous or something you'd be like what's wrong with you yeah so in that respect i think there's so much more support yeah uh nowadays right which which is really healthy for the industry yeah you know so you must have gone on to learn about business and getting your shit together at some point right well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the I mean, the reason why um, you know you came up as an idea to have on the show, yeah, was yeah. because I was talking to Jimmy Cara, or you know, some people know Cara Gordon, yeah, um, yeah. about the Aaron Tokina shows, yeah, and I was asking him about the organisation of it because yeah. I thought, man, that could be a real chaotic thing. It was chaotic, yeah. and uh, and he was like, you know, Jason Peters is the guy, yeah, he's the one. So, did you actually initiate that show? I initiated everything. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I think I'd had a bit of experience on that side of things with mm. with my project Kong Fui. Yes. 
um, I was on loop and then I went independent and then I had to manage every aspect of it myself. Right. And I was in another uh, uh, band, Hunt the Witch, mm-hmm. and, and Bevan and I kind of managed the band and managed uh, tours and everything to do with recording, you, you know, the whole buzz. Yeah. So I had a bit of experience in that. And then um, Aaron passed away and mm. it was incredibly sad. And, and, and um, So how, how did you know Aaron? How, what was the backstory oh, there? Oh, there's a whole story there. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so that goes back to Christchurch. Yeah. Um, uh, Aaron was living there. Mm. And um, I'd seen him in Weta a couple of times, late 90s. Uh, they played in Christchurch. Awesome band. Yeah. And um, chatted to him a couple of times back then, but it was just, you know, how are you going? Awesome show. Yeah. That was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think he was living in Wellington or Melbourne then. And then when he moved to Christchurch, yeah. um, uh, we met in the car park of, of uh, kindergarten that our daughters were at. Oh, yeah. They were in the same class. It was a preschool or something. And we, we just started chatting our heads off. Right. about music yeah and 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 then just keep happening and then we you know exchanged numbers and we started hanging out mm. and then we started um basically doing a bit of jamming yeah and 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 sort of became friends that way right you know which was really cool and i i just i i loved his personality he's just a um so funny yeah um an incredibly talented dude yeah but um uh didn't take every anything too seriously mm-hmm you know, yeah, just super laid back, and and a, and a real crack up, and and he thought I was really funny too. We just connected. It was just no effort. Just an organic friendship. Yep. Just yep. boom straight away. Yeah. Um. And then um. Over the time, he 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 had a studio in Littleton, uh-huh. and started writing with Nick, which became Coro Knife Fight, and we ended up doing a few early Horibuzz shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, at a couple of um, I think it was a Littleton Festival of Lights. And it was played in a cafe. We were playing on top of a six-foot toilet. What? Yeah, yeah, crazy, right? <laughs> There's what? this toilet in the middle of this cafe. Yeah, that's six foot, and you basically walk underneath to go to the toilet, but the, but the stage is on top. So it's like a little portable room sort of thing, like a square. It's quite wide. Yeah. So there were like two toilets or something, and then you had a you had a ladder to get up the side. It was a bitch to get the cat up there. What do you? So people are standing in front of the toilet to watch the show. Well, it's like the whole space is a cafe, right? But 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 the stage is essentially on top of the toilet. <laughs> and, and where's the door? It's basically in front, so it's like a box. So people so could be wa- people watching the show, dancing, having a good time. I got to take a piss, and they walk and straight ahead underneath and the they stage. Walk, they walk straight ahead and go for a piss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I pretty, can't imagine how that would work. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so we had a we had a couple of we had a couple of jams there, and I remember yeah. I thought it might have been our second jam. Full house, and um, his I think it's his cousin or uncle Hori. Yeah, was on the bass. Incredible mm-hmm. bass player, man. And um, we were jamming away, and then and then Aaron's having trouble with his might have been the loop pedal or something to do with his guitar or the amp. Right. And he was, I could see him getting really fucked off, and he keep going, looking at it and looking around. Got to the point of the set where he just started smashing his guitar on top of the stage. <laughs> He went down that ladder and then just disappeared. And me and Hori just looked at each other and just went, oh, shit. <laughs> this room's full. And so we were like, hey, man, should we just bust out a funk jam? Right. And we, we did that for about 25 minutes and people loved it. Yeah. They were just dancing away. And did he come back? He didn't come back. And we finished <laughs> the set. 
And uh, I went and found him. I said, you're, you're okay, bro? You yeah. right? And he goes, yeah. oh, just that gear, man. Sorry, man. I shouldn't have done that. I was just, I couldn't fucking handle it anymore. Right. It was pretty funny, man. I've heard stories like that about him before. And I've often wondered, did he have nice gear? Was the, when he, oh, he's, he started getting really nice gear. That, that, yeah. that white guitar, that was at a Gretsch or something. It yeah, was amazing. So when he was smashing up guitars, though, was he smashing? Oh, I think up it was nice earlier on, <laughs> right? So, so I think he had a, had two or three back then. Yeah. They were just cheaper, you know. Right, right. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, incredible. So we got the news that he passed away, and yeah. and um, very, very, very sad and quite shocking. Mm, of course. And um, and then and then a couple of nights later, I was on the couch and I said to my wife, I said, oh, maybe someone should do a tribute to Az, you know. Mm. And I said, and then she turned around and said to me, "Goes, well, why don't you do it, babe?" And I'm like, "Oh, oh, yeah, I guess I could." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was like, "I wonder who we could get, you know?" And then I thought, um, "Oh, what about Kiro, um, Jason Kerrison, mm-hmm. and and um, friends with him?" And 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 uh, so I called him and yep. said, "Hey, what do you think? What do you think about doing a, a, a wetter thing?" Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, man, let's do it." Yeah, totally. I'm in. Right. And he goes, I reckon Farfa will be keen too. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it sort of started. Right. And then I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we had the Ohori Buzz and then Weta? You know, both bands re- represented. And I was thinking, oh, Kara, he he did that whole thing with Aaron where they'd had a, a guitar battle off. Mm, yeah. I went to with um, Farfa and Kerrison and, and we loved it. Right. I thought, he's an incredible guitarist. He, mm. could, he could do that. And, yeah. and he knew Aaron and... That would work. So I reached out to Kara, and he was like, "Yeah, absolutely, man, love yeah. it. I'm in." And oh, maybe we can get Barnaby, and maybe we can get this and this and this. And said, "Reach out to them and see if, see if you can." Yeah. And that was all go. And then it was pretty much that was the set. It was like we had, it was just Auckland. Yeah. We just had the Weta band. We had the Hori Buzz band, and then I heard from Alex Ferrier. I think mm-hmm. you did a, a podcast with him too. I did yeah. And he reached out and said, "Hey." um, me and Sam have been doing all these Kyra Knife Fight songs. Yeah. Do you want us to jump on board? You know, and I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Talked to the other guys and I said, yeah, cool idea. So next minute we had three bands. Right. And so Auckland wasn't too bad to organize, kind of had it there. Which venue? Uh, it was Whammy. Oh, yeah. We could have mm-hmm. easily probably played in Galatos. It sold out. Yeah. Um, but. It was too late to change venues of course, and all yeah. that headache. And you never know, do you? Until you. Well, you don't. Yeah. And then, and then, so that was kind of all set. And then, and then, people around the country started putting their hand up and go, "Hey, what about us?" Right. And um, and then um, it was someone in Wellington, and then because that's where we lived for a while, and then Christchurch, and then it ended up being the Mount. And then I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe we could take this around the country." Yeah. So I, I just started organising it all. And it was a huge job. Right. It was a lot imagine. of, it was, it was a rotating cast of musicians in each city because yeah. you couldn't get, especially the bigger names, you just couldn't get them to commit. For every show. So for for yeah. every show. Yeah. Which was actually cooler in a way because it just, it, it was cool for us because we got to jam with different guys. Yeah. Different personalities. And, and each show had a slightly different flavour. Yes. For yeah. each set right. in each city. So But logistically how how was it putting it together? I mean <sighs> it's a financial investment by the time you're getting up to some of those bigger venues, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, did you so, feel confident on that level by the time it was starting to get a lot of hype? Were you like, This is gonna be all right? Well, you never know, man. It's a risk. Yeah. It's a total risk. And I was putting my own money into it too. Yeah. 
um, and the and the tickets were slow, and then leading up to the last week or, or, or two, before each gig, mm. that's when all the tickets sold. Right. But it was definitely nail biting. That's pretty, leading up to that. Thing, yeah. I, I think people are going to turn up. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a quite a New Zealand thing, though, isn't it? Yeah. Ticket, ticket to a last minute thing. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So. Um, so it was very successful, and it yeah. was amazing for the family. Mm. And um, I got to meet the family and got pretty close with uh, uh, Tuma, who's Aaron's brother, and he played drums. Right. Really good drummer. Yeah. Um, on most of the shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you play too? Yeah, I, I was in the Weta band. Yep, cool. I played played drums for all the shows. So yep. not only was I organizing it, I put myself <laughs> through learning all the songs. Yeah. But that was amazing. I loved that album, Geographica, and it was really, really cool for my playing, actually, just learning Clint's style. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit more dynamic and quite melodic and laid back in parts. And, right, yeah. Um, and were, cool. were the shows, were they mostly a, a joyous sort of, Oh, occasion was it, it, there were there were there you it, know absolutely were, were there sad moments in the show oh totally right yeah. um there yeah. were there uh there were definitely moments where uh certain musos on stage were crying yeah um there's Henade uh Carr from Christchurch he was uh in a hori buzz as a drummer mm-hmm. for two years yeah knew Aaron really well um there were three guys from a hori buzz that played in Wellington right uh Ben Fulton Sash uh, on on bass and then and then H yeah and then Tomer of course I just see him just blubbing away up yeah. on that kit because it was just such a cool moment for him. I mean, the last message I had with Aaron, um, Aaron was going to put a Hori Buzz back together again. Right, it was two point Yeah, and I I put my hand up and said, Hey, bro, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I'll be keen. <laughs> yeah, and and he was like, Oh, I love you, bro, uh, but. I think I'm going to give the seat to my little brother, Tomo. Right. He's been hassling me for the for ages, and the little prick can play. <laughs> I just cracked up. I said, that's awesome. I said, you've got to get your bro in there. Yeah. So it was kind of really tough for Tomo. Not only did he lose his bro, it was like an opportunity that he was going to have to finally play yeah. with Aaron. So he got to play those songs right again around the country which was really neat to watch that's what i've heard people say about grief is that you're not losing the past you're losing the future you're yeah lo- you're, you're losing future memories yeah you know i mean i was grieving for aaron through this whole process too and i think yes. it really helped just celebrate his music and that that's what these gigs were they were like a celebration yeah um it was a different vibe man in that room every night compared to just a gig right people were there at a love and respect yeah, uh, for, for Aaron and his music, which was it, it's, so cool. It's an amazing use of music too. Like it's a it's a really, I think it's a, a sign of of progress. You know, when it comes to us being on the ground as musicians and, and emotionally growing up. You know, yeah, and and being able to be vulnerable with each other like that and grieve together. Not that it's you know me personally, but you yeah, know yeah. speaking on you guys' behalf. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and being able to have that together is is an amazing and very yeah. healing thing to have yeah, right yeah. yeah it was it was quite a i don't know especially when the music was gelling and the crowd were just going off it was just a it was a sweet moment man and there, yeah. it was definitely moments where i was looking up to aaron <laughs> for guidance and especially when it got really stressful in some of the parts of just yeah. organizing it well what was the stressful mo- what, 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 what were the stressful moments I think it's just just organizing things and and then just little things will come up on the night or mm. there'll be a lot of people coming to you yeah. for answers yes, that's whether right. it's the venue yeah. the musicians yeah and on top of that I'm thinking 
right, I want to have a really good show tonight. And yeah. Get up on that kit and nail it for Aaron and you've got as to, well. You've got to clear your head so you can play properly. Try and eh? clear it. Yeah. But you've always got a million things on. And, and like uh, my wife will would attest to this is just like constantly on my phone yeah. messaging emails 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 <laughs> things would fall through musicians couldn't do it and then they could and yeah. then we'd find another one um you know accommodation flying all of it yeah um it was it was a bit of a mission man but by the time i got to the end of it i was ready for a good break over the course, holidays yeah. which was awesome but because i've done loads of that over the years organized stuff and managed yeah. stuff and shows and tours and blah 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 and i always think in theory, this shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. You know, you book the venue, you have the band, like it's it, it's really not that hard. But for some reason, it's hard. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. like one of the things that does my head in is um is is people. People are hard to manage. Yeah. You know, just getting replies from people and like that's getting it. people to remember shit and you know. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. I, I think it's communication. I mean, there's a lot of venues that will get back to you straight away. Yeah. And you can lock stuff down. And, and then there's great. venues that you don't yeah. hear from, from for a week. Yeah. And you follow and going, up and you're like, what's going on, dude? Yeah, what's up with us? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we've penciled it in, but you didn't tell me that. Yeah. And now I've gone and organized another venue. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And um, But... And saying that, man, I, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Right. Um, so much so that I'm, 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 I've organized some other shows. That was my question. What's happening next? Uh, next is uh, a Seattle tribute that I've put nice. together around the country that's happening in October. Yep. A um, bunch of the musicians that I played with um, uh, in Aaron's shows. I'm not playing. I'm mm -hmm. just going to organize because it's just <laughs> too much right. work. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains. Yeah. And I can't wait to see that, you know. Alice in Chains is an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, um, great, great band. But yeah. I always think of them as being more kind of an overlap from the 80s. They kind of did that. But yeah. they definitely had some kind of sludgy Black Sabbath-y thing like Soundgarden yeah. going on. They were pre-grunge, in my opinion. Yeah, they were. They were ahead of their time. They were ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, but that combo of bands, yeah. I mean, it's something I'd love to see. What did you say again? Nirvana, Soundgarden? Uh, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains. Yeah. So Seattle Tribute. What about Stonewall Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins? I imagine okay. taking all of those on tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think Smashing Pumpkins were Seattle, were they? they were no, I think they were, the, they were sort of lumped into the grunge thing, but they yeah. weren't really part of the Seattle scene. Eh? Yeah. No, they I were... think three bands is enough to organise for this show, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Um, so the Nirvana thing came about where when we did Sam Fran show, yeah. uh, my wife and I stayed on for the whole weekend in Wellington and went to Valhalla the next night. Right. Never been to that venue. Mm. <clears throat> and there was um, a Nirvana cover band happened to be playing, tribute band. Mm -hmm. And my God, they were good. Yeah. Like you close your eyes and it's Nirvana. And there were three young dudes. Right. Um, what kind of, like what like early 20s sort of? Early 20s. Yeah. Um, had, had the look, had the long hair, the flannel shirts, yep. the drummer even had the same kit like dave had back in the day weird <laughs> at the paramount show or something yeah um really really good tribute man we were just like whoa yeah it was so cool yeah and then um at the sam friend show in the cairo uh set nate campbell who who sang for us in the weather set mm -hmm. he got up and did a sound garden song um with alex and paul I think it was Spoonman, and it absolutely nailed it. And I've been all of those guys have been part of the Chris Cornell tributes a couple right. of years ago up in Auckland. I had and no idea. That's a tough gig. So Sing of course it, yeah. my sort of promoter mind starts clicking over and going, <laughs> "Wait a minute, yeah, Soundgarden, Alison Chains, Nirvana," and reached out to those days, and everyone's like, oh, "Hell yeah, yeah, let's do that." So, <laughs> so anyways, there's a bit of work to do, but that's um, 
that that's going to be four venues. But there seems the to be this kind of um this kind of thing seems to be bigger New Zealand right now, isn't it? It's hard to tour original bands. It seems. Yeah. But uh, unless you're one of the established names, but um but there are a lot of shows that are doing pretty well that are some versions of covers or tributes or. Yeah, I think you know, I think if it's done well, it's okay. I, especially at this time with COVID and yeah. all the internationals being locked out. Yeah. Um, it was kind of good timing. People would kind of want to see live music and yeah but it has to be good that's right you know there's some pretty shoddy tribute <laughs> bands out there yeah well how you do you differ i mean i know I, I i agree with you completely and i've got my opinion on what makes a difference but how do you differentiate well i, I guess with this particular one it's having like the trust mm. in these musicians and, and seeing them play yeah and knowing that they can nail it so i've kind of i've kind of uh got an informed decision about it yeah yeah um but I've definitely seen some tributes out there that are giving it a good shot, but yeah. they're not really hitting the mark. But there's a lot of tribute bands that uh, travel globally yes. as well that do really oh, well. Some of them are massive, especially some of the bigger ones like Queen and yeah. some of those guys. You yeah, know? yeah, it's it's a hard one, isn't it? I um I don't like the shows where they're it's like acting, like they've got the outfits kind of and the wigs and yeah yeah so it's really theatrical and they're yeah, trying to be they're playing the people kind yeah, of thing that, yeah to me well. that's cheesy you know but yeah. um i went and saw a i'm pretty sure i can say this because i don't think it was from new zealand but i saw a, <laughs> a fleetwood mac tribute show a long time ago mm-hmm. and it just sucked yeah 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 <laughs> the the woman um playing stevie nicks just she took the part of Stevie Nicks that is a bit hippie and she yeah. exaggerated the shit out of it. Oh, no. And just turned it into this maniac, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? She went, like, she went full know. retard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Stevie Nicks obviously is a bit like up in the clouds, yeah. but she also has this other side to her, which yeah. is very grounded and very rock and roll. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. it was like, you just, it, you just, it was never going to work, you know? And yeah. I would have liked the show more if she hadn't been playing Stevie Nicks, but she had just been singing Stevie Nicks. Yeah, just like a tribute <laughs> to the actual voice or the, yeah. to yeah. the music. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is exactly what we'll be doing. I mean, right. the Nirvana guys have, have that look a little bit. Yeah. But the, the the other two bands are definitely just hot musicians. Yeah. That, that, that are passionate about those bands that, that'll play it really well. And celebrating the music, right? Absolutely. Because what I'm describing, the music was almost an afterthought. Yeah, you know? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, also we'll play the song. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> what about your music? Because I checked out um, um, Kong Fui. Yeah, I yeah. Said, I said that right, didn't I? Kung, Kung Fu, Fu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, that, that's a cool band, man. That's oh, a thanks. Cool, that's a cool sound. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been a, a big fan of um, uh, funk and soul for a long time. Yeah, me too. It, um, coincides with my heavy, heavy stuff that I love. Yeah. Um, that was something I started like seven or eight years ago, just just mucking around in studio and logic. Mm. Um, that whole first album is pretty much pieced together with samples. Yep. Um, and then collaborating with vocalists and 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 Dave guitars, right? Um, but it was it was a lot of work. Yeah. It was a lot of work. Everything's a lot of work. I know. <laughs> but trying to find all, these, I, I actually got this incredible sample disc from the UK. Yeah. That had all of these vintage instruments, and these these session musicians had recorded all these samples. Right. It was like five gigs of it or something. Yeah. And that's how I pieced together that first album. Mm. But it was like a puzzle trying to actually make songs out of that yes yeah um and it was a homage to you know all those all those funk greats as well and then work it in with a slightly different flavor with alice um who's my cousin who's an mc yeah and then jamie who who was another mc 
which was a kind of a connection to da- uh, Jason Kerrison as well. Right. They did the Babysitter Circus oh, together. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked with Jamie. Yeah. And then Dave, who we found from Christchurch, uh, young young um, jazz, did jazz school down there. Mm-hmm. Great soul voice. And, yeah. and an awesome uh, a jazz guitarist, sort of funk soul guy. Yeah. Plays around Auckland a lot. So once I got that combo, it was there. Yeah. It was really cool. Um and that's quite a, a step away from what you'd done musically, wasn't it? Oh, it was a complete 180. Yeah. Really. And was that a very purposeful thing? Like, I, I need to do something different? I think so. I mean, when I first started producing, I was doing, I was looking up to guys like Rian Sheehan and um, sort of those early Cafe Del Mar. And I started doing a lot of like instrumental mm. type, more laid back stuff. Yeah. And then, it, and then it led into, I think I just got that disc and I thought, oh, I wonder if I can make a song out of this. Yeah. And then I pieced together, you know, verse chorus and started making a song and sent it out to the guys and they, they, they put their stems back on it. And I was like, shit, this is actually cool. Yeah. It's gonna work. Yeah. So that's how I started developing that whole that whole album. Right. And then the second album I did, it was more me more more, more me just doing production and, and more sample stuff. Yeah. Uh, but now I'm gonna turn that whole project into a band. Oh yep. Cool. Um, with me on the kit. Yeah. Um, so that's the next challenge, right? Uh, which I think will be really, really cool because I don't know. I can't, I'm a bit old school, and, and from from coming from that playing in bands my whole life, yeah. Even though I loved producing that way, I just felt like I was cheating a bit. <laughs> when <laughs> yeah. I was playing live, I was I, I I was doing percussion and doing backup vocals, and and um, playing out the backing tracks and mm. kind of directing a little bit live, but just didn't have the same feel as a band right yeah to me it worked i mean we, uh, the the audience loved it yeah but it, uh, it was always irking me that this should be a band so right. now um i've put together a band and we're going to start writing soon yeah we're, we're uh, looking uh, to... but also with backing tracks as well to get some of those elements in there no no i i really just want to go for that vintage vibe right and, and we've got a keyboard player that's going to play Rhodes hammond mm-hmm. uh get a percussion player in as well yep um, you, know, hot, you know some good percussionists? Got a good one uh, through a friend of mine in, in Christchurch who, really? who, who does a jazz school, Doug Brush. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we were talking about that the other day. Like It's hard, yep. to, it's hard to find good percussionists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He, he's a tutor there. Right. And, and um, he's, he's phenomenal. I yep. can't even say that word. He's amazing. <laughs> he's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, he's, he's really good. So he's, he's in the wings waiting. Yep. Um, definitely keen to work with him. And then there's a, um, uh, there's a really great guitarist. We've got Sam White mm-hmm. uh, and Clem, uh, who played the Hori Buzz set. I kind of cherry pick, cherry picked the musos from the Hori Buzz set down <laughs> in Christchurch. Yeah. Um, and thought, hey, would you guys be keen to do this project? And they're all going, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. Looking so, to that. so as as all all <clears throat> of these events recently, it sounds like they've changed the way you approach things a little bit. Like now you're seeing, now you're realizing, I can actually put stuff together. I can put together shows. I can put together bands, and you know what I mean. Maybe a little different to how things were in the past. Kind of, yeah. I guess I'm a one one stop shop because yeah. I do all of the artwork as well. Right. Because I've my, my career's been in graphics the whole time. Yeah. Um, so it makes it easier mm. and it makes it uh, cost effective. Yeah. If I can manage everything, write the music, do the artwork. Absolutely. You know, you know yeah, I, I happen to have those skills so I can do it. So it, it, it's I, cool. I mean, yeah. I think that's where the music industry has gone. You know, I think that it's become a boutique, you know, indie industry, yeah. you know, and all of the, the, 
you know the let's say the inflated stuff you know that's all hemorrhaging money and it's all yeah. it's all all really a facade with, yeah, yeah. with exceptions true but where the money's getting made and where the good stuff is getting done and where the creative creativity still exists is, yeah. to me it's more indie now it's totally like that and i've got a yeah. friend uh aaron who was in Pumpkinhead, mm-hmm. and he's just um writing a, a similar way to what i did just producing it yeah uh, with logic and and recording into logic yeah he's he's a really great graphic artist as well mm. so he's he's kind of uh i guess just an independent guy yeah doing the same thing he's, he's writing the music he's going to put it out there i just put him on to a master guy that i, I used to master in the uk yeah he'll do all the artwork yeah and it's done yeah done and dusted you yeah know? exactly just these little studios around uh new zealand but that's part of the thing about the indie model and that's why i have uh you know, I, I, I respect the indie model more than anything else yeah, because yeah. the indie model comes with limitations <laughs> and those limitations are in time and budget and resources and then you make better decisions within those limitations. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and yeah, okay, we could have gone to a bigger studio and got a bigger drum sound or whatever, but we didn't have the money. Yeah. So we recorded it in the fucking lounge yeah. <laughs> and that became the sound of the record and I think that's the sound of art. You know, yeah, I think yeah, that's when yeah. it becomes art again. I think yeah. that that when someone's got money handed to them, that's not art, that's privilege. Yeah. You know, the real art is informed by how it's made. Yeah. Oh, no, you're totally right. I mean, yeah. um, when I was in Hunt the Witch, we were uh, kind of a heavy stoner rock band, and we did everything ourselves. <laughs> so stoner rock. Stoner rock. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun, um, yeah. and, and got to make really good friends with those guys. And, yeah. But we, we were very lucky in that um, I actually did a contra deal for a website for Roundhead yeah, back right. then. And it was basically, let's swap that. mm to record an EP. Mm. So we ended up in A Studio and we recorded it all to um, tape. Oh, yeah. Like oh, we did with Pumpkin, really? Pumpkinhead's what? album. We did the same thing. But with Pumpkinhead, you wouldn't have had a choice, right? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> but we kind of went in. We knew the material really well. It was just an EP. And yeah. I'd recorded that way quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. No no click track, just smash into it. Nice. Um and and it was actually really cool not to be spending a whole lot of time on a computer yeah. chopping it to bits. Yeah, and, no and, quantizing. Can't quantize on a reel, can you? <laughs> and and just mixing it. And the result, I mean, the EP came out great. It had definitely had that nice, warm, analog sort of vibe right. about it. Yeah. Um, but that explains a lot because cause I was listening to some of that last night as well. Mm. And and I was like, there's something really cool about this drumming. And one of the things that puts me off a lot of, a lot of modern rock is that it is so um, closed mic'd and it's so perfect yeah they've they've cleaned it up and quantized it and everything to me that kills it yeah you know all the greatest most exciting drummers in history recorded like you just described yeah yeah and that's pretty much how it was and it was untouched yeah um they've got a great recording ludwig kit up there at roundhead Mm -hmm. and um ollie's got the same um the lab at the lab that we recorded the album at yeah and he's pretty much rolled it the same way it was kind of a Frankenstein of my kit and what he had yeah but it sounded great recorded and, and he just captures it and, and then puts yeah. a little bit on it and just leaves it and he's know? got a real he, Ollie has a great respect for like proper like vintage authentic sounds and tones and vibes and so on right yeah 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 because I know he loves the old stuff I think he also respects um, modern stuff but, yeah but oh, he's yeah. he's super cool such yeah. a laid-back guy really yeah. talented yeah um we, we were there for the first half of the album we mixed with him mm-hmm. and then we just left him to it. He yep. just set with, you know, there'd be two or three revisions each song, but we knew he had it down. Yeah. Had, had the, the what we were trying to achieve down and, and dialed in the sounds. Yeah. So we just left him to it and he's, he's cool. Yeah, awesome. Good to work with him. 
Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of interesting stuff coming up then. Yeah, the, man, I'm going to be I mean, busy this year <laughs> again. Yeah. Um, Do you feel a new um, optimism as the year starts and we, you know, the, the power in America has shifted and there's, you know, hopefully there's a little bit more control coming with the whole pandemic and everything? Yeah, I hope yeah. so. I mean, it was definitely um, a crazy year, right, last Absolutely. year. And I was yeah. so lucky I managed to navigate the shows that I put on for Aaron around all of that. Yeah. So lucky. So I hope it's more of the same. I mean, man, I'm hanging out to see a, a, an international band. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had faith in them all booked in and it's been pushed back twice. Right. Yeah. Um, taking my daughter to, uh, oh, my chemical romance is booked in for November, but right. I'm saying to her, don't hold your breath. Yeah. I'll probably reschedule. And that's no, they've got to save all the um, the the um, facilities for the America's Cup and for cricket players. Yeah, that's right? it. Yeah. They're the exceptions that's for it. some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Although I hear that, that that they might be using Eden Park as for, a venue. For concerts. Yeah, I think they just got approved. That's amazing. That's long yeah. overdue. I don't know what I think about that, if I'm honest. Really? Yeah. Well, I used to live across the street from Eden Park. And yeah. um, and if, for those who know the area, there's there's a, a a walkway that goes from Eden Park through to Kingsland yeah. that they put in um, during the um, World Cup uh, in 2011, I think. Okay. Something like that. Yeah. And that walkway is where I used to live. Ah. They, they moved my house away. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you have to move out. Why? Because we're going to take the house away. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Um, but anyway, living beside beside that stadium was a nightmare. Yeah. It was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. And the idea that now they're going to have concerts there too, and the sound is going to bury the neighborhood. Yeah. I was, I was keen on them... Um, pulling the thing down and building it down by the waterfront you yeah. know I, I was um, i don't think i voted for it but i was i guess in favor of it. From a, i think they're only allowed <laughs> to have what like six concerts in a year or something They've, yeah the, and, and there'll be curfews and yeah yeah everything it's kind of similar to western springs i just think it's more accessible it's it, right. the train lines are on there yeah um I, I, yeah you know, now that i think about it i'd rather them have music there than always you have know, sports have to have sports yeah, yeah. And yeah. i think we just need a more a little more central yes. venue yeah for those bigger shows yeah because uh, it's kind of missing right in a way and and western springs is okay yeah but it's always a mission getting parking and you but can't train to it and it's not going to be any better at eden park though no probably not <laughs> you could barely find parking as a resident yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, they'll probably have to build another train line. Yeah. And yeah. bowl more houses. That's right. <laughs> I'll have to move out again. Yeah. yeah. That's it, man. Well, it was great to meet you and um, and go through it. Did yeah, we cover same. everything you wanted to cover? Oh, yeah. I didn't know what we were going to cover. So, <laughs> yeah. No, I think... I, I never think, do either. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that was that was great to chat. Absolutely. And um, I've really enjoyed the other podcasts. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really cool. And um, it was great you were doing it with Bobby. I met Bobby a few years ago. Yeah. Um, I built a couple of op shop websites. Oh, nice! Uh, for those boys, so that's how I got to know them. Yeah. Um, back then, and they're all really lovely dudes. Absolutely. Yeah. Me and Bobby are still tight. We just yeah. did the last episode together again. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. We had yeah, an yeah. Inter interesting recording moment, so yeah. it sounds a bit weird, but okay. it was it was fun though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. man. So keep doing that. I yeah. Think, I think it's it's really great for New Zealand music scene and creative scene. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it gets people to know the musicians a little yeah. bit more and hear those awesome stories that are out there well that's the that's the thing because yeah. someone like yourself i mean you know those shows were awesome and but it was like but who's behind it you know yeah and that was what got my attention when cara mentioned you yeah 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 i was like i gotta to talk to that guy yeah. yeah and it was it was it was neat dealing with all those musicians and yeah. jimmy's just an incredible 
Yeah, I've got, to call, I've got to remember to call him Jimmy. Jimmy. Well, Jimmy <laughs> I just, now. I just know him as Cara. Name. Or Cara, yeah. I yeah. do too. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we got to play, uh, Joel played at um, at the Mount show with Fran Cora. Yeah. And those guys were just oh, so amazing, cool. Eh? Yeah. And they were so appreciative to be asked to play those shows. Those guys are some of the nicest guys in the business, I Oh, reckon. they're really sweet. And yeah. they and they just, um, so professional. They just, yeah. once they hit that stage, like Fran's quite a mellow, laid back guy. Yeah. But as soon as he hits that stage, man, he comes, he, he's on fire. Yeah. And then that whole place pumping. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. there were there were heaps. There were heaps of uh, cool, cool musos like those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that we got to play with. And it was, uh, it was a buzz. Yeah. As Aaron yeah. would say, it was a fucking awesome buzz. It was a hoary buzz. It was a hoary buzz, yeah. man. And, and, um, and Jimmy taught me what hoary meant. So yeah, now, yeah. I'm, now I <laughs> know. You've been educated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, great chatting, man. Thanks cool. for coming. Cheers, Danny. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share, and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.